الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الصلاة والسلام على شف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا ونبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين أما بعد فأنا عبد الله بن فأنا عبد الله جابر بن عبد الله الأنصاري رضي الله عنهما أن رجلا سأل رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال أرأيت إذا صليت المكتوبات وصمت رمضان وأحللت الحلال وحرمت الحرام ولم أزد على ذلك شيئا أدخل الجنة قال نعم رواه مسلم وما أنا حرمت الحرام اجتنبته وما أنا أحللت الحلال فعلته معتقدا حله Alhamdulillah brothers and sisters we're continuing with the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi and as we mentioned previously, the compilation of Arba'inat is, or was, and is uh, a tradition amongst the Hadith scholars. And these compilations are, as we know, various different compilations. You have the Jawami', it's called the Jami'. They're Masanid, the Musnad. They are Sunan. And they are what we call ajza or a juz. So Arba'inat fall in the category of the ajza, books of ajza of hadith, or a juz, which refers to it's a compilation about a specific subject. So many of the scholars of the, of the past, for example, they compiled a juz or a compilation in regards to zuhd, for example, like Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal and Sayyidina Imam Abdullah ibn Mubarak, they have Kitab al-Zuhd, the book of abstinence from dunya, the book of uh, asceticism, and different scholars, compilation of Arba'inat about, for example, charity, Arba'in about jihad, Arba'in about, for example, tahajjud. Uh, Imam Bukhari has a juz on Raf al-Yadain, very famous. So the various scholars, they had these compilations and the objective of it was, was to bring together all the ahadith or as many as you can regarding one subject. And it makes it easy for a seeker. Okay, I want to know about Qiyam al-Layl. I want to know about Salat al-Tahajjud. So you would go and there's a whole arba'in or a compilation about tahajjud. You read all the ahadith of the Prophet What's a beautiful thing which I highly recommend students of hadith, students of knowledge, is books like the Mishkat al-Masabih of Imam al-Tabrizi, or a compilation of al-Targhib al-Targhib of Imam al-Munziri. You have Arba'inat, uh, or you have in a compilation of every single subject in this book, that if you were to, for example, open up the book At-Targhib At-Targhib of Imam Mundhiri, you'll find, for example, chapter of Dhikr. Might not have 40 hadith, but have like 15, 20 hadith upon the virtues of the gatherings of Dhikr. Uh, you'll find a chapter of, you know, virtues of Madinatul Munawwara. The virtues of the city of the Prophet you'll have, for example, 10 hadith, as many a hadith as he could compile according to his shara'it and his conditions 
of authenticity, he'll bring it in there. And that is why these books are very enjoyable to read. And from amongst the most, you can say, accepted in all around the world, just like his book, Riyadh al-Salihin, is very well received and very well circulated amongst all uh, circles of knowledge and institutions. Riyadh al-Salihin is studied probably in every single institution. And in all masajid, you'll find it in almost every library. And commentaries have been written on it. And Allah granted it great, great acceptance. And one point to understand about a book, why one book is accepted and one book is not accepted. Where's Jalal? Jalal is here. Sit over there so I can see you. You want to go behind the padda? Remember you asked about the Muatta? So we were discussing the Muatta of Imam Malik. The Muatta of Imam Malik, you know, uh, it's, it's famed for the Thulathiyat. Thulathiyat are that uh, Sanad, the chain of transmission, that there is only three people between Imam Malik and the Prophet so imagine that you're narrating a hadith and there's only three people between you and the Prophet himself, alayhi salatu wasalam. So this is the beauty of the Muatta. That's why Shah Waliullah Muhaddis Dehlawi and some other scholars were of the opinion that the Muatta of Imam Malik is asahul kutub ba'da kitab Allah before the Bukhari. And one of, I think, one of the objectives is that there's more thulathiyat. The, right, the wasita is closer to the Prophet, alayhi salatu wasalam. The hadith goes, An Malik, An Nafi', An Ibn Umar, An Rasulullah So there's literally like two people between Imam Malik and the Prophet himself. So point being is the very famous thing that's mentioned about the Muatta is that there were many Muattas that were written. In the time of Imam Malik, I was actually never got to it, but I was looking for some other Muattas. There's a Muatta of Imam Muhammad as well. But that's a riwayat of of the narrations of Imam Malik that Imam Muhammad then took and he Hanafiized it. But the, the thing was is that the other Muattas, like there are many Muattas that existed, kind of like there were many Sunans or many Musnads. Why was it that the Muatta of Imam Malik became famous? Many people don't know that there's many books before Bukhari that was written. Why did Imam Bukhari's book get acceptance? This is a very important point for us to understand, right? What makes a book, I mean, same hadiths are there, same sign. If you, re, if you really look at them, they're very, very similar. One of the most amazing books that I was reading in the, the muqaddimah of this book, and any students of knowledge, please, any once in your lifetime, read the muqaddimah of Sahih ibn Hibban. Imam ibn Hibban, the muqaddimah that he has for his sahih is a, such an introduction that I have not seen such an introduction like this. Students of Arabic and advanced students of hadith and knowledge, please, if you can, if you have the opportunity, read the muqaddimah of Sahih ibn Hibban. It's just mind-boggling. And then you wonder, why is it that this book got acceptance and this other book didn't get acceptance? There was many, many muattas that were written. How is it that the muatta of Imam Malik got acceptance and the other muattas were 
did not stand the test of time, so to say. And the reality of this that our mashayikh and the ulama, they mention is the ikhlas, the sincerity, the piety, and the true intention of the person who was writing that book. That the ikhlas and the sincerity and the piety of that person is what brought that book to be accepted in the sight of Allah Azza wa Jal more than anything else. So when we talk about all the various different arba'inat, there were many arba'inat. There were many books, 40 hadith that were compiled. But Imam al-Nawawi rahimahullah, his, you can say arba'in, his compilation so famous that it's thought, you know, east and west, in the entire Muslim world, everywhere you go, students memorize it, students study it, commentaries have been written on it. You know, a friend of mine who's a book collector, his enjoyment is collecting the shuruhat of uh, the arba'in of Imam al-Nawawi. Imam Haytami has one, I have this one by, it's a, Imam Ibrahim ibn Mar'i, Shabarkhiti al-Maliki, I don't even know, subhanAllah, can't even pronounce the name. These were various different arba'inat. Uh, uh, Mullah Ali Qali has one. Dr. Hamza al-Bakri, he made a uh, commentary on the arba'in of Imam al-Nawawi. Uh, he made the takhrij of this uh, 40 hadith, which was commented by Mullah Ali Qali, rahimahullah, a very prolific hadith author. This is something that we can take in our everyday life is that that work which is truly done for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that remains. فَأَمَّا الزَّبَدُ فَيَذْهَبُ جُفَاءً وَأَمَّا مَا يَنْفَعُ النَّاسِ فَيَمْكُثُ فِي الْأَرْضِ As for, Allah ta'ala gives the example of, uh, you know, a flood. And the flood water comes and picks up all the garbage and trash and sediment. And as for all the trash and all the flood and all the, you know, foam on top of the flood, that fades away. And that which is beneficial for humanity, that stays in the earth. And like this is everything which is done with sincerity. And we have the Arba'in of Imam al-Nawawi in front of us. Why? Amongst many of the Arba'inat, this Arba'in has received Qabool from Allah Azza wa Jal. It's Because his intention was pure. His intention was good. And anything that we do with a great intention, it remains. Anything that we do for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, khalisan liwajhillah, truly for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that remains. So we learn from this, that subhanAllah, after what, 700 years or so, we're reading the books of Imam al-Nawawi till this day. And the author will pass away, but he remains. Actually, his books are his, you can say, academic and spiritual legacy. The books of a scholar are his Right? legacy that they leave behind. This is their inheritance that they leave behind and it continues to benefit humanity and it will inshallah till the day of judgment. So the subject of this Arba'in 
what is the basically the 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 the, the foundation? What is the objective of the Arba'in of Imam Al-Nawi? Al-Ahadith al-Lati alayha madar al-Islam. Those ahadith that right they are fundamental principles of Islam. In other words, every hadith that you were to take from the any hadith to take from the Arba'in of Imam al-Nawi, each hadith could be something which is a fundamental principle of Islam. Alayha madarul Islam. Yani the teachings of Islam revolve around every single hadith. Each hadith has a fundamental principle regarding which Alayha madarul Islam. So we previously we did hadith number 21. Let's read hadith number 22. Anabi Abdullah, Jabir ibn Abdullah al Ansari radiallahu anhuma. It is narrated from Abu Abdullah. Abu Abdullah, this is his kunya. Yani this is the honorific that amongst the culture of the Arabs, a person is titled by his oldest child. And this is an honorific or something by which a person is addressed in words of respect called kunya. Abu Abdullah is his kunya. Jabir ibn Abdullah. And Jabir is his name, the son of, Abdu- the son of Abdullah. He is an Ansari. And his mother is Anisa. Aslamat wa bayat radiyallahu anha. And the mother of uh, Sayyidina Jabir radiyallahu anhu anha, she is Anisa and she was one of the mubayat one of those who made bay'ah with the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and his father the father of sayyidina jabir ibn abdullah is also a sahabi and shahid al-aqaba ma'as-sab'in he was in bay'atul aqaba the very famous uh, pledge that the ansar took with the Prophet والسلام, with the 70 special companions, right? As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the verse about them. Verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with those that they made they are with you. So Jabir ibn Abdullah, this Abdullah, uh, who is the father of Jabir, he was one of them, and he his father was a Muslim and a Sahabi, and he was, and so, so was his mother. So very Mubarak and a blessed family. He narrates, That a man came and asked the Messenger of Allah And this man is Nu'man ibn Qawqal, as the Shurrah of the Hadith mentioned. And is Nu'man ibn Qawqal shahidan Nu'man badran wa qutila yawma uhudin shahidan he was present in the battle of Badr and he became martyred in the battle of Uhud wa huwa al-qail yawma Uhud aqsamtu alayka rabbal izzati la taghibu al-shams hatta ata bi'arjati hadha hadhihi khadra al-jannah so this person who is asking the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, his name is Nu'man ibn Qawqal, and he became shaheed on the day of Uhud. And he said, 
aqsamtu alayka rabbal izzati i swear by the lord of honor that the sun will not set except i will step with this foot of mine into the green pastures of paradise faqala an-nabiy sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said about him inna an-nu'mana dhanna billahi azza wa jalla khayra such a good opinion does nu'man have of allah azza wa jalla yani a person who has any so much conviction this is not he's not saying that i am going to jannah what is he saying here he is saying that i will sacrifice my life for the sake of deen this is what he means so the meaning here is not like i'm telling you i'm a jannati that's not what he's saying it's not permissible for a person to say i'm a man of paradise in other words he's saying that in this battle i will i will push myself to the limits to sacrifice myself for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this, and that will be the cause of me entering with this foot of mine into the pastures of paradise so the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said and he will find it this is the opinion that he had of Allah azza wa jal and inshallah this is how he will find Allah if you have this good opinion of Allah azza wa jal inshallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant you as you see and as you have hope in Allah that is how Allah will deal with you falaqad ra'aytuhu yata'a fi khadra'iha ma bihi araj he says and he was he had a lame he was he was lame he would limp so he arjati yani with this limp leg of mine hatta ata'a bi arjati hadhihi khadra' al-jannah yani with this lame and limp leg of mine i will walk into the green pastures of paradise so the prophet sallallahu said wallahi i saw him with that limp leg of his walking ma bihi araj but he did not have any limp he did not have any you know what do they call that limp right they call it when you walk with a limp is that am i saying it right or lame lame or limp L walking with a limp he says that and i did not see him with any limp so he came to the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam sa'ala rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam he asked the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam araita araita yani what do you think it's a question yani what do you think idha sallaytu al-maktubat if I to perform the obligatory prayers and if I fast the month of Ramadan and if I consider lawful that which Allah made lawful and I consider unlawful that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made unlawful and i do not increase on that in the least bit that's all i do yani i do what allah ta'ala has obligated upon me and i do the obligatory prayers and i fast the month of ramadan and i consider what allah made lawful as lawful and i consider what allah made unlawful as unlawful then will i enter into paradise if i do that yes you will so a couple of points is 
Performing the obligatory prayers is mentioned. And fasting in the month of Ramadan is mentioned. And then he says, أَحْلَلْتُ الْحَلَالُ الْحَرَامُ So this specific point here is a point of highlight that I wanted to focus upon in the discussion of the Arba'een here. And that is that according to Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, according to the scholars, general scholars, I don't think even think that there is a difference of opinion about this, is that whether a person, when he is a Muslim, whether a person, he actually does something or doesn't do something, that's besides the point. It is binding upon us in aqidah. It is binding upon us as Muslims in our belief that what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made halal, we have to consider that halal. And what Allah azza wa jal has made haram, it is binding upon us to consider that haram. Now, I'll explain this, that if a person, he is involved in a sin, he considers something to be a sin, a person, Quran, Allah azza wa jal mentions, right? إِنَّمَا الْخَمْرُ وَالْمَيْسِرُ وَالْأَنصَابُ وَالْأَزْلَامُ رِجْسُ مِنْ عَمَلِ الشَّيْطَانِ فَاجْتَنِبُوهُ Alcohol, gambling, this is something that Allah has made from the, from the impurity of shaitan, فَاجْتَنِبُوهُ Stay away from it, abstain from it. So a person believes that this is haram. Alcohol and gambling is haram. He abstains from it. That's fine. But now a person, he considers this to be haram. He considers this to be impermissible while still doing it. You understand? So a person is perpetrating alcohol. He drinks alcohol and he gambles, but he knows in his heart and he believes in his heart that this is something that is not permissible. This person will be a Muslim. He's a sinful Muslim. He's a transgressing Muslim, but he will still be a believer and a Muslim in the sight of Allah Azza wa Jal. And this is opposite to another example I'm about to give. A person doesn't drink alcohol. And he perhaps might not even gamble. But what does he say? Oh, that was 1400 years ago. It's okay to drink alcohol. No, that what the Quran says is this is, this is old. This is from the old times. You know, I don't drink. That's my personal preference. But you know, it's halal. You can do it. N nowhere, in, nowhere in the Quran it says that alcohol is haram. Actually, there are Muslims, brothers and sisters today. They call themselves Muslims. And they say that nowhere in the Quran does it say that alcohol is haram. The word haram doesn't come. Actually, you see in the Quran it says, لا تقربوا الصلاة وأنتم سكارى Do not approach the prayer while you're drunk. But if, you know, outside of prayer, in the prayer you're not supposed to do it, but outside of the prayer you can drink a little bit. But if you're around the prayer time, like Jummah and stuff like that, then you don't want to drink. Maybe Friday night, but not Friday day, because you're going to Jummah. Do not go near the prayer while you're in a state of drunkenness. But if you're not drunk, then you could pray. There's some ignorant Muslims, may Allah guide them, they have this understanding, and this is dangerous. Remember, more dangerous than the sin is the aqidah regarding the sin. And this, this hadith tells us something very important. Harramtul harama, ahlaltul halala wa harramtul harama. That I have to, I believe what Allah made lawful to be lawful. You have to believe that what Allah made lawful to be lawful. And what Allah made unlawful, you have to believe that it is unlawful. This is part of 
my belief in the Quran. When I say, La ilaha illa Muhammad Rasulullah, wa a'taqidul Quran haqqan, and I believe that the Quran to be true, what does that mean? Yani, to believe that what Allah has made haram to be haram, and what Allah has made halal to be halal. If I don't do that, that takes me out of the fold of Islam. This is a belief that takes a person, istihlalul haram wa istihramul halal. This is why Abdullah bin Salam, who was a Jewish rabbi who accepted Islam, he came to the Prophet wasallam, and he said, Ya Rasulullah, I have accepted Islam, but allow me to do three things. He says, from previous time, you know, in the Sharia of Musa salam, we don't eat camel meat. It's made haram upon us from the Sharia of Sayyidina Musa salam, so I just don't like it. I'm, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't want to do it. And secondly, I recite the Torah in the night, and then he mentioned one more thing, which I forgot what it is. When he asked this question, Allah Azza wa Jal revealed these verses, Ya amanu udkhulu shaytan. Oh, you who believe, enter into Islam completely. Don't be half-half Muslim. Like, I'm half-following the shariat of Musa alayhi salam, and I'm half-following the shariat of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. No, this is not half this and half that. Making a jamba juice of different religions, you see? I'm following that, and then I'm following this as well. This is not correct for you to do. Udkhulu fi silmi kaffa. Enter into Islam completely. And do not follow the direction that shaitan is taking you. Because what is this? What was the main thing that Abdullah bin Salam was doing here? What was the problem with what he was doing? Is that not avoiding camel meat is not the issue. You can avoid it if you want. You don't have to ever eat camel meat. Nobody's ever going to uh, force you. Nobody's ever going to test you. That if you're a true Muslim, then you have to eat camel meat. No, you, don't, you, could, you could never ever eat camel meat in your life. It doesn't matter. But considering something that is permissible, considering something that is lawful, and having this i'tiqad that it is unlawful, you have not entered into Islam. The verse was revealed about him. Enter into Islam completely. So our i'tiqad and our belief is very, very important. You don't have to do it ever in your life. You don't have to ever do it in your life. You don't have to ever eat camel meat. I don't like it. Okay, you don't like it. But to say that this is haram, you are making tahreem of what Allah has made halal. You understand? A person, right, can be never drinking something, never drinking alcohol, never gambling. But what does he do? He considers that to be impermissible. Or he considers that to be halal. He considers that to be permissible. He considers that to be lawful. And this is another thing which is a touchy subject, but we will not avoid this. This is haq, and it has to be said. This is the attitudes of people regarding homosexuality and having a homosexual lifestyle. This has to be mentioned. Having a homosexual lifestyle 
living the LBGT lifestyle or whatever it might be. It is haram. This type of practice and this type of lifestyle is haram. It is completely forbidden in Islam. To consider this to be halal, and this is why I have to emphasize this point, a person, they may do whatever they want to do. They can have any lifestyle that they want to have. That's their choice. A person can have any lifestyle that they want. That's their choice. But the moment that you say that there's nothing wrong with this, and this is halal, and nowhere in the Qur'an does it say that this is not permissible. And show me in the Qur'an where it says this is impermissible, and this is permissible, and God loves me, and God loves everybody, and God loves everybody unconditionally. God does not love sin. God does not love transgression. You understand what I'm saying? So it's very, very important to understand the boundaries. Now with that being said, I know Muslims that, have, that struggle with homosexuality. I know a Muslim that himself, he is, has the HIV virus. He contracted the HIV virus from this lifestyle that he had. Wallahi, the amount of love that I have shown him and how much I have opened the masjid and how much I have welcomed him, Allah Azza wa Jal is fully aware of that. How much we have shown them love and opened our doors for them and helped them in their struggle. This is a struggle. Everybody has a struggle. And just like this, people talk about LBGT or they talk about homosexual lifestyle. What about heterosexual haram relationships? Yes, that is also haram. That it has to be spoken about. A heterosexual relationship outside of marriage. Sexual relationships outside of marriage is haram. You cannot consider this to be halal. It's zina. Everybody's talking about gay sex. What about heterosexual sex, which is also haram? Look, my point is, correct your aqidah. We are all sinners. This person sitting in front of you is the greatest sinner. But consider sin to be sin for the sake of Allah Azza wa Jal. Consider sin to be sin. We are not here to judge you. We are not here to call you sinner. We're not here to put you down. We're not here to shun you. Never. One of the closest people to me, when people say, oh, this is homophobic rhetoric. It's absolutely not homophobic rhetoric. This is our religion. This is our aqidah. And just as you have a right to go and talk about that, we have a right to say what our religion is. This is muttafaq alayhi. There is no difference of opinion about this, except one or two mushrooms that popped up here and there. We're not talking about the, right, the hallucinogens that are out there that if you eat those, then you start seeing hallucinations. We're not talking about those mushrooms that popped up here and there. We're talking about the Ahle Haq, the Ulamai Haq, which is 1400 years of tradition, what their aqidah was in regards to these issues. To consider that which Allah Ta'ala made impermissible, impermissible. And I'm gonna re repeat this again. A person, they might have this struggle that they're going through the struggle or this test and temptation of homosexual lifestyle. But in their heart, they say, Ya Allah, you guide me. This is not good. I know that this is not pleasing to you. Ya Allah Azza wa Jal, you guide me on the straight path. This person, inshallah, will find tawbah from Allah Azza wa Jal. Inshallah, Allah Ta'ala, you will find tawbah. Allah will tawbah Allah alayhi. As long, and this is, the, this is another very important thing, to consider a sin a sin. Why this is important? 
Because if you don't consider a sin to be a sin, you will never make tawbah from it. Why should I make tawbah from something that I don't consider to be wrong? It's not wrong. He will never be, Allah will never give tawfiq to make tawbah from sin if you don't consider sin to be sin. This is why this is important. A person can be, subhanallah, Allah Azza wa Jal forgave a prostitute. Allah Ta'ala forgave a prostitute on account of water that he gave to a thirsty dog. Subhanallah. Sin is nothing for Allah Azza wa Jal. Allah Azza wa Jal يَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ جَمِيعًا Allah is Ghafoorul Rahim. Allah is Latifun Wadud. Allah is so merciful, so kareem. It comes in one hadith that لَاللَّهُ أَفْرَحُ بِتَوْبَةِ عَبْدِهِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is more happy of the tawbah of his slave than a person who is in the desert and he has all of his provisions on his camel. He has the water and he has the provisions and then he loses this camel in the, in the middle of the desert and he's thirsty and he's dying and he lays under the tree and he says, okay, now it's my time to go. I'm going to now die of thirst. And he's laying there to die when all of a sudden his camel comes out of nowhere and he becomes so excited and he says, Anta abdi wa ana rabbuk. He says to Allah, Anta abdi wa ana rabbuk. You are my slave and I am your Lord. And he made this mistake out of his, his intense excitement that he's calling Allah his abd and he completely, and he, he loses his mind in happiness. Hadith Qudsi, the Prophet said, Allah becomes more happy when somebody comes and makes tawbah to him, then this person who finds his camel, this dying person who finds his camel in the middle of the desert, Allah is more happier when you return to him than this man who was dying of thirst, he found his camel. How merciful is Allah Azza wa We're not magnifying, understand, something. There is no sin greater than the mercy of Allah. There is no sin greater than Allah's mercy. My Shaykh Rahmatullah alayhi used to say this. He says, those people that become hopeless. Oh my God, I've, no, but how can Allah, I'm a sinner. How can Allah accept my dua? He said, this is very dangerous because are you saying your sin is greater than Allah's mercy? You'll fall into kufr. You'll fall into despair. No, nothing is greater than Allah's mercy. My mercy encompasses everything. My mercy encompasses your sin. My mercy encompasses everything in this world. So we should never, ever, ever think about when we are making this discussion, we're not targeting a people. We're not targeting an individual. We're not targeting a community. You understand? We are mentioning what is the aqidah of Muslims regarding this matter. Just like it is about this matter, just like it is about homosexual matters, it is about heterosexual zina. Homosexual zina and heterosexual zina. Both of them is zina. And to consider them zina 
to consider. The only difference is the zina of homosexuality can never ever become halal under any circumstance. And heterosexual relationship can become halal with nikah. This is why one is more severe than the other. We have to know these boundaries. We have to know these boundaries. If we don't know these boundaries, then how is it when we go to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? يَوْمَ تُبَلَ السَّرَائِرِ يَوْمَ تُبَلَ السَّرَائِرِ فَمَا لَهُ مِنْ قُوَّةٍ وَلَا نَاصِرِ This here is the most important thing. Not just the zahir. Like I said, the zahir of a person is they could have been a prostitute their whole life. But this here was with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Eventually Allah ta'ala gave her tawbah. Forgave her sin of entire lifetime on feeding a dog water. Never judge anyone. We cannot judge anyone. This is what Allah will question. Inna Allah la yanduru ila ajsamikum wa la ila suwarikum Allah will not judge your ex external appearances. Allah doesn't look at your faces and Allah doesn't look at your bodies, but He looks at your hearts and your actions. So it's important that the heart has to be in the right place. It's very important that the heart must be in the right place, even though the body might be somewhere. We're human beings, we make mistakes, we fall into sin. But the heart must be in the right place and our perspective must be right. So it mentions here, Madhabu Ahlil Haq. Madhabu Ahlil Haq min al Salafi wal Khalaf. Anna man mata muwahidan dakhal al Jannata qat'an ala kulli hal kayfa ma kan. That the Madhab and the view of the people and the scholars of the Salaf from the Sahaba and the Tabi'een and the Khalaf and those scholars that came after, that anyone who dies with Tawheed, anyone who dies believing in La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, will definitely enter into Jannah eventually, no matter what his condition was. فَإِن كَانَ سَالِمًا مِنَ مِنَ الْمَعَاصِي كَطِفْلٍ وَمَجْنُونٍ اتَّسَلَ جُنُونُهُ بِالْبُلُوغِ وَتَائِبٌ تَوْبَةً صَحِيحًا صَحِيحَةً وَمُوَفَّقٌ مَا أَلَمَّ بِمَعْصِيَةٍ قَطْ فَإِنَّهُمْ يَدْخُلُونَ الْجَنَّةَ وَلَا يَدْخُلُونَ النَّارَ أَصْلًا As for somebody who passed away and he did not have any sins, like a child who died before puberty, or a majnoon, a person who had a mental, they did not have a mental capacity, and this mental disability continued with them after bulugh, or a person who made true tawbah, or a person who was enabled by Allah to never commit a sin in their life. فَإِنَّهُمْ يَدْخُلُونَ الْجَنَّةَ وَلَا يَدْخُلُونَ النَّارَ أَصْلًا They will enter into paradise and they will not go into hellfire. لَكِنَّهُمْ يَرِيدُونَهَا عَلَى الْخِلَافِ فِي الْوُرُودِ However, there will be وَإِن مِّنْكُمْ إِلَّا وَارِدُهَا كَانَ عَلَى رَبِّكَ حَتْمًا مَقْضِيًّا There's the ayat of the Quran. وَإِن مِّنْكُمْ إِلَّا وَارِدُهَا there's an ayah of the Qur'an that says, and there is none of you except that you will enter into the fire or pass through the fire. And this is upon your Lord, a matter decreed. So the Sahaba radiallahu anhu asked, Ya Rasulullah, how could this be? Everyone will enter to fire. Because this ayah says, And there is none of you except that you shall traverse that fire. 
Ya Rasulullah, are you going to go through the fire? He said, yes. But the believers, do you not read the ayah that comes after? ثُمَّ نُنَجِّ الَّذِينَ اتَّقَوْ وَنَظَرُ الظَّالِمِينَ فِيهَا جِثِيَّةً And those who have taqwa, we will pass them over. ثُمَّ نُنَجِّ الَّذِينَ اتَّقَوْ And this is talking about وُرُودَ عَلَى جِسْرِ جَهَنَّمْ That there will be a sirat that will be placed over it and that wurud, the wurud will be over the sirat. وَأَمَّا مَنْ عَمِلَ كَبِيرَةً وَمَاتَ بِغَيْرِ تَوْبَةٍ فَهُوَ فِي الْمَشِيئَةِ إِنْ شَاءَ جَعَلَهُ قَلْقِسْمِ الْأَوَّلِ وَإِنْ شَاءَ عَذَّبَهُ ثُمَّ يُدْخِلُهُ الْجَنَّةِ so As for a person that may have made a major sin or he died without making tawbah, this person is in the mashiyat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is why, brothers and sisters, when a person dies, no matter if that person is waliyum min al-awliya aw alimun min al-ulama what do we do for every Muslim who passes away? We have salatul janaza. Even if a person is very, very pious, we have salatul janaza. And what do we say in salatul janaza? Allahumma ghfir lahu warhamhu wa'afihi wa'afu anhu wa'akrim nuzulahu This is the dua we make. Allahumma ghfir lihayyina wa mayyitina wa shahidina wa ghaibina we make that dua for everybody. And the point here is, is that every single person who lives and every single Muslim who lives, right? This is, they have a haq upon us that we make dua-i maghfirah for them. Because we're all sinners. And we don't make the dua-i maghfirah in the janazah for the little children. But what dua do we make? We say, Allahumma ja'alhu lana farata. Allahumma ja'alhu lana farata. Right? Oh Allah, make him for us a farat. Yani somebody who goes ahead and prepares a, you know, the destination for us. وَجَعَلْهُ لَنَا شَافِعًا وَمُشَفَّعًا And oh Allah, make him an interse intercessor on our behalf. Such an intercessor whose intercession is accepted. Subhanallah. So... It's a very interesting thing that it says here that a person commits a major sin and he dies without tawbah. We don't know the condition of people. I pass away, you pass away. Who knows what sin I might be involved in? Nobody knows. Only on the day of judgment will our secrets be exposed, who we really are. You see what I'm saying? So we don't judge. Don't overjudge the pious and don't, you know, Underjudge any sinner. We don't know what is the condition of people within their hearts. There will be people that we see on the day of judgment. We used to consider them very low. They might be in the gardens of Firdaus, Firdaus al-Ala. And there are people that we think that they were very, very great. And they will be in the depths of hellfire. We don't know what is the end of anybody. And the consideration is given to the end. Right? وَهَذَا مَذْهَبُ أَهْلِ الْحَقِّ الَّذِي تَظَاهَرَتْ أَدِلَّةُ الْكِتَابِ وَالسُنَّةِ وَإِجْمَاعُ مَنْ يُعْتَدُّ بِهِ عَلَيْهِ And this is the aqidah of all the scholars of Islam. وَظَاهِرُ الْحَدِيثِ 
Sheikh mentions, ظَاهِرُ الْحَدِيثِ يَقْتَضِي أَنَّ الْآمَالَ الصَّالِحَةَ أَسْبَابٌ لِدُخُولِ الْجَنَّةِ This companion, this Sahabi, Nu'man ibn Qawqal, asked the question, Ya Rasulullah, if I do the five daily prayers, and if I fast the month of Ramadan, and I consider what Allah made halal to be halal, and I consider what Allah made haram to be haram, will I go to, in other words, will I go to Jannah? Yani, will these things that I do become a sabab of me entering into Jannah? So what we see here, ظَاهِرُ الْحَدِيثِ يَقْتَضِي أَنَّ الْآمَالَ الصَّالِحَةَ أَسْبَابٌ لِدُخُولِ الْجَنَّةِ لِأَنَّ تَعْلِيقَ الْحُكْمِ عَلَى الْوَصْفِ يُشْهِرُ بِالْعَلِيَّةِ Because it's an indication that this right, result, that if I do this, will it result in this? And the Prophet ﷺ said, yes. However, there is another hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, so there seems like to be a contradiction. Remember I was telling you about the book Mushkilul Athar of Imam Al-Tahawi. A lot of times, nowadays, we have this doubts about a hadith where people see an, uh, a contradiction between one hadith and another hadith. Oh, I don't believe in hadith. Why? You see, one hadith says like this and another hadith says like that. So Imam Al-Tahawi wrote a book called Mushkilul Athar. Mushkilul Athar. Imam Tahari was from the Salaf. He was in the same time of the A'immatu Kutub al-Sit. Imam Bukhari and Muslim and Tirmidhi and Ibn Majah and Abu Dawood and Nasa'i. He lived in their time. He was from the Salaf. He wrote this book, Mushkil al-Athar, and in that is over, I would say, I think more than 700 or so ahadith regarding the contradictory. There's another book that must be read. Amazing book. These matters have already been discussed by scholars. But now people, they, they're reading on their own and they don't go asking questions to the mashayikh and they're confusing themselves. And then they say, oh, I don't believe in hadith. Why? Because one hadith says like this and another hadith says like that. Oh, that's it? That's the problem? Okay, a whole book has been written on that. Mushkil al-Athar. And volumes have been written. We know that Sahih Bukhari has hundreds of shuruhat. Tirmidhi, Muslim, has dozens of commentaries. And the objective of those commentaries is clarifying these misunderstandings, clarifying these contradictions. So here's a sharih of hadith. It's not even a, one of the major kitabs. It's just a commentary of the Arba'in of Imam al-Nawi. So he says, here the hadith indicates to that if you do these actions, you go to Jannah. But in another hadith, it says something opposite. What does it say? It says, إِنَّهُ mentions in hadith of Sahih Bukhari that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa said a person will not be saved merely on account of his deeds. This in brackets, Bain al-Qawsayn, we put merely, only, to make it make sense. إِنَّهُ لَيُنْجِيَ أَحَدًا مِنْكُمْ عَمَلُهُ Never will a person be saved merely on account of his deeds. That is, he did these deeds and based on his deeds, he will go to Jannah. قَالُوا وَلَا أَنْتَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ Not even you, O Messenger of Allah. قَالَ وَلَا أَنَا Except that Allah Ta'ala showers me with His mercy. 
Fal jawab. So what is the answer? Because this hadith is indicating that you enter into, uh, uh, into Jannah through your actions. And this hadith says, the other one, that you don't enter into uh, Jannah. None of you will enter into Jannah through your actions. So, فَالْجَوَابُ أَنَّ دُخُولَ الْجَنَّةِ بِمَحْضِ فَضْلِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى لَيْسَ إِلَّا In other words, that the person who enters into Jannah will be out of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is only so that it, we, our sight is not on our deeds our sight will be on the mercy of Allah ta'ala because who was it that gave me the ability to do these good deeds it goes back to Allah azza wa jal and this is in a way to keep us humble it doesn't mean that actions don't have actions don't play a role in our entering into paradise it is through these actions that Allah Ta'ala showers His mercy upon us. It is through these actions that Allah showers His grace upon us. Right? And who gives us the ability to do those actions? It is by Allah Ta'ala's mercy. So the objective of the second hadith is to remind us that we would not even be able to do this if it wasn't for the mercy of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And here you can see the Sahaba when they're asking, and not you, O Messenger of Allah, not even you. In other words, they're thinking that maybe it's because we are sinners and we're not masoom. It could be because of we the fact that we are sinners, we're not masoom, that our deeds are not being accepted. And the Prophet's answer shows that it's not about you being masoom or not a sinner, but it actually has to do with even me, it all comes down to the mercy of Allah In regards to this, a very famous hadith is narrated in Mustadrak of Hakim. Some kalam is made upon its authenticity. Imam Hakim narrates it in his Mustadrak that there's a story about a pious person who lived on an island and every day, you know, there would be one fruit that would grow for him and he would eat from it. And there was a spring of water and he would drink from that. And he lived on this island for 300 years, making the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala day and night. And he made dua, oh Allah, when I'm going to pass away, take my life when I'm in sujood. And it happened. He lived 300 years on this island. All he did was worship Allah azza wa jal. And then, he passed away as Allah Ta'ala he had made dua fast forward day of judgment he says that he will be before Allah Azza wa and Allah Ta'ala will say to him Ya Abdi udkhulul jannata bi rahmati oh my slave enter into paradise out of my mercy so then he will say Ya, ya Rabbi bi amali Ya Rabbi bi amali oh Allah you know I had 300 years credit I kind of had this 300 years of credit what happened to that? I had my savings account. What happened to all my, 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 my akhirat bitcoins? What happened to my akhirat currency? You never have cryptocurrency? So he said, what happened to my hasanat currency? I have all the hasanat. He said, Ya Abdi bi rahmati. He said, Ya Rabbi bi amali. And there's this, this conversation going on. So he says, okay, you want to you wanna do tijara? you want to you know give a value to your deeds he said okay so they said put the mizan bring the bring the scales put the mizan so they brought the mizan so on one side they put his 300 years of amal 
And then he said, okay, on the other side, we will take one bounty that we had given you, the bounty of sight, the bounty of basar, the fact that you were able to see. And that bounty and gift of Allah was put on the other side of the scale. When the bounty of the gift of sight was put on the other side of the scale, his 300 years of worship flew away and they disappeared. This was so heavy. It was so heavy that that 300 years of worship was not able to fulfill that one ni'mah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the one bounty of Allah azza wa jal. It was not able to fulfill that. He says, okay, so where's your, where's your currency? What happened to your currency? That was your currency. Khalas. It didn't even fulfill, and it didn't fulfill the haqq of the basar. It didn't fulfill the haqq of sight. He said, okay, he has nothing. Muflis. Take him to, take him to Jahannam. They grabbed him. Ya Rabbi, bi rahmatik. Oh Allah, by your mercy. He said, now you understand. Now you understand, right? Okay. So now enter into paradise by my mercy. In other words, in the end, and in the end is a very interesting, like I said, there is some kalam on this hadith, but there is a lesson that we learn from it. In the end, Jibreel alayhi salam says to the Prophet, Ya Muhammad, Kullu shay'in bi rahmatillahi ya Muhammad. Sallallahu alayhi wa Kullu shay'in bi rahmatillah. That's the end of the hadith. It gives, it gives kind of context to this. But in the end, in the end, in the ultimate end, it all comes down to the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he says the entrance into paradise is actually by Allah's mercy. But now the maratib, the various maratib, that a person is in lower Jannah and a person is in higher Jannah and another person is in Firdausul Ala. How does that happen? Right? And Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَلِكُلِّنْ دَرَجَاتٌ مِمَّا عَمِلُوا وَلِكُلِّنْ دَرَجَاتٌ مِمَّا عَمِلُوا And for each person will be his daraja in paradise according to that which they did. A person works hard at his company. A person works hard at his company. Right? He goes before, everybody comes, he opens early, and then he leaves after everybody. He's not the same as a person who clocks in and clocks out, or he comes late. The person who put extra work and extra effort, he's the one who gets the promotion in the job. The boss sees him, and he's working overtime. This person is working overtime. This person is working extra days. He's working holidays. Okay, you're going to get, right, overtime. Overtime is like even the name of the pay is overtime. You're going to get paid overtime. And you're going to get a promotion. How did he get the promotion? A person gets according to their amal. So in this world, you understand that. In the akhirah, you don't understand that. We want the same jannatas as Abu Bakr Siddiq. We're praying four times a day. Praying two times a day or praying, mashallah, alhamdulillah, I pray Jummah. Okay, congratulations. But you think you're going to get the same, you know, jannah as the muhajireen and ansar? Even Allah Azza wa Jal makes a, a differentiation amongst the Sahaba themselves. Even amongst the Sahaba, anhum, 
لا يستوي منكم من أنفق من قبل الفتح وقاتل. You are not the same. Those who fought and those who spent of their money before Fatih Makkah in the difficult times, they will not be the same as those who came after when everything became, you know, all easy and everything became so comfortable and everything got, you know, there was no more persecution and there was no more difficulty. It's not the same. Allah has promised everybody good. But the darajat, don't think that the darajat of those people who struggle for the sake of Allah and those people who put more hardship and more sacrifice, that we're going to be like them. No. If we want that darajat, so it says, Entrance of the Jannah is by Allah's mercy. But the maratib that are given in paradise, the different categories, right? This is out of the effort that we make. لَكِنْ لَبُدَّ لِلْعَبْدِ أَنْ يَسْتَنِدَ لِفَضْلِهِ وَلَكِنْ لَبُدَّ لِلْعَبْدِ أَنْ يَسْتَنِدَ لِفَضْلِهِ وَهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ يَدُلُّ عَلَى جَوَازِ تَرْكِ التَّطَوُّعَاتِ فِي الْجُمْلَةِ لَكِنْ مَنْ تَرَكَهَا وَلَمْ يَعْمَلْ شَيْئًا مِنْهَا فَقَدْ فَوَّتَ عَلَى نَفْسِهِ رِبْحًا عَظِيمًا وَثَوَابًا جَسِيمًا So another point it mentions. Ishqal, an objection you can say. This hadith indicates that you don't have to pray any sunnah. That you don't have to any pray any nafil. What does he say? He says, أَرَأَيْتَ إِذَا صَلَّيْتُ الْمَكْتُوبَاتِ وَسُمْتُ رَمَضَانِ What do you say if I play the obligatory prayers? And I fast in Ramadan and I say what's halal is halal and I say what's haram is haram. Will I enter into Jannah? Okay, there's no mention if I do the nafil, if I do extra prayers. So where do all these prayers come from? I knew an elderly uncle, elderly, elderly uncle. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant him Jannah firdaus May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive his sins. He was one of my elders. So he said, who made up this nafil? Just pray your five daily prayers. What is all this nafil you guys are making? Every day, another fast. I already fasted the month of Ramadan. Now you're pulling out of the rabbit's hat another fast. He always used to say this. Allah ta'ala grant him Jannah. Kind of same question is being put here. It's just said, look, pray your five daily prayers and fast the month of Ramadan and do the halal. And, and stay away from the haram. Where does all this other stuff come from? So he's answering this. It doesn't mention that here. But just because in this hadith it is not mentioned, there could be many factors due to which the Prophet ﷺ to this Sahabi, Nu'man ibn Qawqal, this particular person, at this particular stage, at this particular juncture, he did not mention it to him for a reason. That's why it's very important that we know the context of the hadith. We know the history of the hadith. And we also know something called sababul wurud. Why a hadith was revealed. Just like we have sababul nuzul. The Quran has sababul nuzul, the reason of revelation. But the hadith has sababul wurud. The sababul wurud tells us what's the reason why this hadith was given. So this person was in his early stages of Islam. He just accepted Islam. He is asking about general rules. 
Now, when a person just accepts Islam and they're saying their shahada, you're going to drop on them, you know, so, oh, don't forget your tahajjud, and don't forget this, and don't forget salatul ishraq, and salatul duha, and salatul taraweeh, and what are you doing, man? I thought I prayed five times a day. What's going on over here? Yeah, you're going to just drown me. You don't tell him all of those things when he's saying his shahada. So, brother, you have, you know, five pillars of Islam, right? This is as long as you fulfill this. These are the pillars, the pillars, yani, what makes you a valid Muslim. So it's a beautiful explanation here. Well, hadithu yadullu, it indicates ala jawazi fil jumla. It indicates to this point that you can leave optional things. Lakin, but he's saying man tarakaha walam yamal shay'an minha faqad fawwata ala nafsihi ribhan azeeman wa thawaban jaseeman. If he leaves it out, then he has lost upon himself. He has lost a great benefit and great rewards. You understand? Like a person, when you open a business, let me ask, anybody who opens a business, generally, I'm saying 80% to 90%, the majority of the people who open a business. Ahmad, Sometimes you, I, have to, I have to call you out because sometimes you're wearing your advertisement in the, in, in, in the masjid. So, so I know that, mashallah, you have a business. So is the objective of the business at the end of every... means barely making it. Huh? Never. You can't do that. See, he's a businessman, mashallah. He's a young entrepreneur. So this young entrepreneur is telling us that when you open a business, you don't want to be, what? Barely making it. Okay, I barely, okay, we're just going to make, okay, 2,000 is the rent. Okay, we just, 2,000 for the rent. And okay, how much is my, you know, this? Okay, living in the Bay Area. Uh, 5,000 to $10,000 is rent for a one-bedroom apartment. Okay, for that. And then, you know, you're, you're not doing like that. You want as much profit that I can make as much advertisements that I can do even if I wear it on a t-shirt in the masjid I have to do that I have to get the word out as far as I can as far and wide as possible otherwise you're going to lose business this is the part of the ribh Allah Ta'ala says that this is a tijara yet you have to have a, the mind of a tajir you have to have the mind of a person who's making profit. You want to make profit in your deen. And this is why, what, why was the nafil prayers? Why was the sunnah? And why was the nafil incorporated? Do we know? Is that when we pray only the fard, we pray only two rakats of salatul fajr. We only pray four rakats of salatul dhuhr. We only pray four rakats of salatul asr. We only pray the three rakats of salatul maghrib. Then we have a naqs. We have a deficiency. We have a weakness. We make a mistake. Our concentration goes off. We're there. We're not there. We might not read something properly. Right? What happens? There's a naqs. There's a deficiency that comes in our prayer. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, who's rahmatul alameen, he gave us these extra prayers. And what does that do? That Allah azza wa on the day of judgment will say, if there's any deficiency that comes in his fara'it, Allah will say, does he have any nawafil? Does he have any extra credit? And that extra credit will be added 
If his salat, which is fard, is perfect, that'll be extra credit for him. If that salat is imperfect, the imperfection will be made up by the nawafil. First it will start with his salat, and then it will go to his saum. That's why we should pray a little bit extra prayers. Fast some extra fasts. Give some extra charity other than the zakah. Because what does that do? That fills the gaps, that fills the deficiencies, and it makes takmil of the naqs. You see what I'm saying? وَمَنْ دَاوَمَ عَلَىٰ تَرْكِ شَيْءٍ مِّنَ السُّنَنْ كَانَ ذَٰلِكَ نَقْصًا فِي دِينِهِ However, now the Prophet ﷺ established some sunan that he would never leave except seldom. And if a person makes mudawama, he, in, in, he makes for a long period of time, he leaves these, these sunan. This will cause his naqs in his deen. It will cause a deficiency in his deen. Because the Prophet ﷺ was an example for us. He never left these things. He never left the sunan. Twelve rakats of sunnah, other than the fard prayers, he never left that. Except once in a while, when he would be on a journey, or he would be in, in, in a state of sickness, or وسلم, or he would be you know, in safar, and he would leave the sunan, but generally he would perform them. Now a person abandoning that which the Prophet ﷺ had as a general practice, this is a deficiency. وَإِنْ قَصَدَ بِتَرْكِهَا الْإِسْتِخْفَافِ بِهَا and obviously if a person now abandons it out of istighfaf and you're looking down upon it again it comes to aqidah remember we're talking about considering something permissible considering something necessary or halal and then you abandon it considering it oh this is unimportant this is no such thing this is a waste of time this can be kufr because you're leaving something that the prophet gave as a gift and you're saying this is pointless this is insignificant it's not needed وَإِنَّمَا تَرَكَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ تَنْبِيهَهُ عَلَيْهَا تَيْسِيرًا وَتَسْهِيلًا عَلَيْهِ وَتَأْلِيفًا لَهُ لِقُرْبِ عَهْدِهِ بِالْإِسْلَامِ Why the Prophet ﷺ did not tell this person about all of these sunan? Because he just accepted Islam. He had just accepted Islam. To make it easy upon him. تَيْسِيرًا وَتَسْهِيلًا عَلَيْهِ وَتَأْلِيفًا لَهُ And to bring him near. And to make it easy for him. Brothers and sisters, remember, this is one of the usul of da'wah. People who come new to Islam, you don't need to drop the 30 juz of the Qur'an on him, wahyut tanzil, all of it upon him, Laylatul Qadr, you know. Even Laylatul Qadr, only four or five ayat was revealed on the Prophet. But you want to give him all the 30 sipadas right there, one, one moment. Right? And then another person comes in, what's your name? Mike. No, what's your real name? Dude, leave the guy alone, man. His name is Mike. His mom named him Mike. Why are you asking him his real name? That is my real name. God, dude, like, leave the guy alone. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, why do we do that to people? Like, leave him. Subhanallah. So his name is Mike. Now you know a Muslim brother named Mike. Okay, there's something new that you learned in your life. Yeah, something new you learned. You, now you, met, you, didn't, you, never met a, you never met a Muslim Mike. Now you met a Muslim Mike. Okay, live with it. Don't drop on that person right the 30 juz of the quran and all the siha sitta on him it takes time look at subhanallah 
and out of fear that it will, gain, it will cause him to gain nafra, to go away. When the Prophet ﷺ was sending Mu'adh ibn Jabal and Abu Musa Ash'ari to Yemen to give da'wah to the people of Yemen, what did he say? He said to them, Bashiru wala tunafiru. Yassiru wala tu'assiru. He said, Bashiru wala tunafiru. Give good, good news to people. Give good news to people. Wala tunafiru. And don't make people run away. Why are you making people run away? Kulu Qur'ana da farqa sarish da muwaq nazil mekuni. Irambuko, urambuko. Eat buta chara, pachit chara balas, pachit chara payanas. Leave the guy. Let him figure it out on his own. Why is your one, you know, pant leg up? Why is your pant leg down? Why is your mustache in what hair 101 is out of? What, what are you like? Are you like CIA, FBI? Like what's going on here? You become the haram halal police at that time. Subhanallah, do you know that this person just accepted Islam? Like a newly born baby. The baby has to drink milk. You want to give him a steak? You're giving it and kill him on the first day. So let the person slowly, slowly. And there's another point that the ulama mentioned. What is the objective and nasikh and mansukh? So we know that there are ayat of the Quran that were makki ayat and there was madani ayat. And we know that in the beginning of Islam, alcohol was permitted. permitted. In the beginning of Islam, alcohol was allowed. The, 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 the impermissibility or the, you can say, the hurma was the prohibition of alcohol came in Medina. And in Makkah Mukarramah, Muslims still drank, technically. The pious amongst the Sahaba, they didn't drink before Islam or after Islam. It's mentioned about Abu Bakr Siddiq and some of the other companions. They did not drink a, 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 a drop of alcohol before Islam or after accepting Islam. Neither in Makkah nor in Medina. So there was some. The natural fitra of these people. Sayyidina Rasulullah Abu Bakr Siddiq, Usman, it's, it's mentioned about them. That neither before Hijrah or after Hijrah, before Islam or after Islam, did they drink a drop of alcohol. This was their Salim al-Fitrah. Their Salim al-Tabi'ah. And then it revealed later. We know that women did not wear hijab till Medina Munawwara. The hukum of hijab was revealed in Medina. The hukum of the impermissibility of alcohol was revealed in Medina. The full fasting of Ramadan was revealed in Medina. Jum'ah, Salatul Jum'ah was revealed in Medina. So I'm, my point is, once those things were established, they're established. You can't now say, oh, but you don't have to pray Jummah. Oh, but you can keep on drinking. You are from the Makkin time. That's not what I'm saying. What do we gain from the Tadrij? We gain from the Tadrij that people, human beings, not the hukum of Allah. The hukum of Allah is set, but people, they need time to gradually work into something. The graduation and the gradual revelation of the ahkam and the naskh and the abrogation teaches us that as a da'i, you should understand people's situations. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
I'm not saying you tell him alcohol is permissible for you because you just accepted Islam. I'm not saying that you say to him, oh, it's okay if you don't wear hijab. You just accepted Islam. But you don't need to bombard them with it. Leave the people that they practice knowing that, okay, I have to do this. Knowing that I have to stay away from this. But tadrijan, you don't need to bombard anybody. Do you see what I'm saying? Force anybody, impose on anybody. Leave the people that they gradually work up to what they have to work up. I'll give you an example. There was a sister. They actually accepted Islam at our hands. She accepted Islam at our hands by Allah's fadl. She says, I know that Islam is true. I know that Islam is the true religion. I said, why don't you accept Islam? He said, because I cannot wear the hijab now. I'm not ready. What did I tell her? I said, do you know that millions of Muslim women that are Muslim, they don't wear hijab? Huh? Really? I said, yeah. I said, people in our family, we know them. They're, they're born Muslim. They're whole generations. They don't wear hijab. They're Muslim. Don't let this hold you back from becoming a Muslim. Become Muslim, even if you don't wear hijab. Inshallah, Allah will give you the ability to wear hijab later. Allah will give you the strength. You believe that this is the truth. Hijab is just one aspect of it. Inshallah, Allah will give you the strength. Allah will give you the ability to do it. Oh, this... Really? But, but you know, I, I just want to be... No, of course, it is something that is necessary. But don't let that hold you back from the truth. And, you know, they say in Arabic, مَا لَا كُلُّهُ لَا كُلُّهُ That which you can't do all of it, you shouldn't leave all of it. Do something. Do that which is... And subhanAllah, this was when, again, when Sayyidina Ali was being sent, he said, tell them to accept Islam. Once they have accepted Islam, then tell them about Salat. Once they have accepted Salat, then tell them about, you know, one after another, after Tadrij. Tadrij. Slowly, gradually. So guess what? MashaAllah, the sister accepted Islam. Literally, a week later, she started wearing hijab. She was talking about it like, I'm never going to do this. But she accepted Islam. She was not wearing hijab. She came to one Jummah Salat. All the sisters are hugging her. All the sisters are showing her love. She's like, oh my God, this is like more love than I got from my own family. Alhamdulillah. And now sisters giving her hijab and this is, oh, let me put it on you. And then she's like, oh, okay, you know, like. And she's just overwhelmed and she's wearing it because she's in the environment where she feels so happy doing it. So my point is, is like, you see that gradual thing is I told her yes it's necessary but don't let that hold you back don't let your inability hold you back accept Islam inshallah Allah will give you this the, the, the strength to do it and mashallah I didn't even the next Jummah she came like Wednesday she accepted Islam Friday she came for Jummah Oh, I love the hijab and I thought I could never do it. I thought it'd be so hard. I love my sisters and all the, you know, flowery stuff that, you know, mashallah, may Allah reward our sisters for all their flowers and all their love. So the Prophet, والسلام, he held back, telling him all of the ahkam so that the nafrat, oh man, it's like, this is too much for me. You see what I'm saying? And we learn also, 
رغبت فيه بقية الصحابة بمحافظتهم على التطوعات كمحافظتهم على الفرائض اغتناما لما جاء من تعظيم ثوابها And he says that, and the Prophet ﷺ did not tell him at that time, حتى إذا تمكن الإسلام من قلبه شرح الله صدره ورغب فيما رغبت فيه بخية الصحابة so that the Prophet left him so that inshallah once he enters into Islam that his heart will then be attracted to that which the companions are also doing then he sees the companions, oh what's this prayer that you're doing? Oh, okay, this is interesting. Oh, what's this that you're doing? Oh, this is... And they learned like that in the environment. You learn from action. You learn from being around others. And here it mentions that the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, they made muhafadha ala tatawwa'at ka muhafadhatihim ala al-faraid. This is a very important point to take into consideration. That the Sahaba kiram that what did they used to do? Muhafadatihim ala tatawwa'at ka muhafadatihim ala al-faraid. They had muhafadah upon and they guarded their their nafil, they guarded their sunan just like they guarded their faraid. Why? For what reason? Lima ja'a min ta'zimi thawabiha. Because there is a you know there's a great blessing and there's a great thawab in that. And that is why we see in the companions and in the salaf and in the pious people that came after, they never abandoned their sunnah or their nafil except in great difficulty. May Allah give us tawfiq to understand what has been said. Wa akhiru da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.